0: How you live. What you believe will affect how you live. Whether it's true or not, whether it's right or wrong, it will affect how you live. So, a couple of weeks ago, I was skiing with my uh, brother in laws so and my father in law, and uh, as we went up to the top of the top of the mountain, the sun's shining, a beautiful day. As you look down, you kind of see the sun reflecting off the snow, and, and it makes it a little bit difficult to see where the bumps and things are along the way. And so, you can ski down. I thought, it's warm, I don't need the goggles for the temperature but as I was going down, I realized I couldn't really see everything that was uh, happening. there. I put on my sunglasses, and then, I, and then I couldn't see any of it. It was like everything looks smooth, and I was like, I know it's not perfectly smooth. There's going to be bumps along the way, but I couldn't see them. So then I borrowed my brother's uh, brother-in-law's goggles, and as soon as I put the goggles on, all of a sudden, it's just the way that they're, the, the, they're designed. You can see everything clearly. You can see exactly where the, um, the, the pitfalls are. You can see exactly where the uneven snow is, and and it changed my, the, the whole perspective, and it changed how I navigate skiing down the hill. My brother-in-law, Jamie, he thinks that, you know, if you put on goggles and a helmet, then you should be able to do this. You know, and uh, he, he bought a brand new helmet, he was out there, and he ended up like this. Uh, and... and- Later on, actually ran his head into a tree and I, I don't know. But it, it's, if you think that, again, what you, believe you can, um, what you believe will affect how you can live. If you believe goggles and a helmet are going to make you a better skier, you're going to try. But the, the, the whole thought behind this morning is what you believe affects how you live. And so in Psalm 34 verse 8, I want to talk about this topic this morning. In Psalm 34 verse 8, the psalmist wrote this. He said, taste and see that the Lord is good. That God is good, and oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him. Those two words, taste and see. The the it's it's kind of you know it's it's like how do you taste God? And you know I've never seen God before. The idea behind this is that uh, as He was writing this, is that by tasting that you wouldn't just know about, but you would experience God. It's like you could know about the brownies at the back, but until you've tasted them, you have no idea how amazing they are. Same same thought here. It's experience God and then see Him. Have the proper perspective. So as we are saying about skiing down the hill, and you, could, you have a perspective, but it doesn't show me everything until I put the goggles on. It was that same idea. Have the proper perspective of what? The proper perspective of the Lord being good. So we tend, we tend sometimes to look at God's goodness through the lens of our circumstance. I don't know about you. Sometimes you're going through the circumstance, and you, you look at God's goodness based on that. Have you ever heard people that are angry at God? Maybe you've been there. Have you, heard, have you been in a place where you see the songs on the screen and you're like, I can't sing them. I don't know why, but there's something I just can't sing those words. We've had people, where as we've sung those words, they've just burst into tears. We've had people hear those words being sung and had to leave. God is good. I don't know. It doesn't register with my experiences right now. There was a saying that happened, started about 30 years ago, I found out. And it went like this. It said, God is good. Oh so, you got, oh, so the plus 30s, 30 plus crowd. God is good all and all the time. God is good. So you know that one. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. My question is, do you believe the part about all? God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And so, but for some, it's difficult. We, we wrestle with that because we look at it through the lens of our circumstance. And we're like, well, you had those questions. Well... Yeah, maybe you've heard this, if God was really good, well then how come dot dot dot? If God was really good, then why am I going through this? If God was really good, why is my marriage in trouble? If God was really good, why didn't he stop me from doing this? If God was really good, why didn't that person I was praying for die? If God is really good, Why? And we begin to look at God's goodness through the lens of our circumstance. And so this morning I want to challenge you to look at your circumstance through the lens of God's goodness. So the question this morning is what goggles are you wearing? Are you wearing the ones that, that uh, the, the goggles of or the lens of looking through circumstance? Or are you wearing the lens of looking through truth? Truth. I want to encourage you and challenge you to look at things with truth this morning. Because it's just a baby. It's all good. Everybody take a look, quick. It's a beautiful little baby. <laughs> just hold her up for a second, you know? Yeah, see? Yeah, she's... I know. I know. I didn't want you to miss that. Uh, it, it's just... Yeah, it's good. And we're back. All right, so uh, the, reason, the reason why I'm asking to think about the lens that you're looking through is because what you see and what you believe will affect how you live your every day. So I want to give you a few thoughts. You know, God's Word, it just says, God's Word is truth. Uh, And so as we look through the lens of truth, we've got to start looking at at the Word of God. And what does God's Word say? And how am I going to register that against the situations and um, circumstances that I'm in? So here's a few thoughts. If you want to write them down, you can jot them down, think about them later. But looking through the lens of truth, you're going to see this. Number one, that God is good, period. Period. God's good all the time. You can just write that down. God is good. It's not dot, dot, dot. You know, God is good, but maybe. God is good, but. It's just God is good, period. In 1852, an English missionary named Alan Gardner set out on a journey to share the gospel. He wanted to be a a missionary and share the good news of Jesus to those who had never heard. And so he set off on a boat, but he never reached his destination. And after they realized that where he was headed, he never arrived. They thought, we need to send a search party out. And so they did. They sent a search party out. And the, 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 the um, beneficial thing for Alan and, and the crew is that they, they all survived a shipwreck and ended up on an island. But by the time that the search party found them, Alan and his companions were all dead. They had shipwrecked on an island. And uh, though they had survived the shipwreck, they had uh, suffered hunger and thirst. And so they died of starvation. And when they found Alan Gardner, they found that right next to him was his journal that he had been writing in throughout the time before he left and as, as he was on this island. And it says at the very end, his last journal entry, they believe that he died on, on, uh, on a Saturday, but on the Friday night or sometime on Friday, he wrote in uh, that date and he wrote this. He wrote, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Final thoughts as he's in this place where he's starving to death on a mission for God, thinking, I'm not getting out of this alive, I'm overwhelmed with what? The goodness of God. And we think about that. and we think, where would we be at? When we're going through the most difficult times in our lives, are we thinking that God is good? Or do we doubt that? Does the enemy put things in our heads that we're like, I'm not sure if he's good. And it's incredibly dangerous to think that way and we'll show you why. See, we don't always think that God is, is good when we're going through difficult things and we're tempted to doubt God's goodness when we see evil happening around us. But Psalm 27 verse 4, I just want to look at some things that are true. David, the psalmist, wrote, in Psalm 27, he, the first three verses, he's writing about the enemy's after me, God. They're coming at. They want my flesh. They want to cut off my toes. He's like, they, they're after me. And an army, as they, as they rise up against and surround me, he says, God, that's all happening. But this is the thing. And he says this one thing. There's only one thing I want, God. And the one thing wasn't, get me out of this. And the one thing wasn't, God, just kill them all. Smoke them, Lord. He said this, one thing that I've desired of the Lord, and that's what I'm going to be seeking. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And back then, the house of the Lord was the temple. Um, and, but he, David wasn't saying, hey, I want to move into the temple and live there for the rest of my life. Maybe it's safer there. His idea was that I would dwell in the presence of the Lord. That I would know that God is with me no matter what, all the days of my life. For us this morning, it would be that I would know the presence of God around me all the days of my life. Not just Sunday morning. And he says this, that to behold the beauty of the Lord. You know what that, those words behold the beauty is where King James poetic guys decided let's write something, something in there. But the idea of behold the beauty is to see the goodness. The one thing that I'm seeking is that I would dwell in his presence and I would see the goodness of the Lord and I would inquire in his temple. And as David, as David wrote this, he says, you know, that I might see his goodness and his kindness. Even though I'm going through this difficult thing, that I might see his goodness and his kindness. And as you read through the rest of Psalm 27, you can do that at home. He describes some different different parts of of his journey. But he ends the psalm with this. Because he's actually writing this story and telling it to the people. Hey, this is the journey that I have gone through. This isn't just necessarily like um, um, uh, uh, in real time. It's like probably in real time. And I'm sharing with others because I'm probably going through it again. He ends it with this in Psalm 27 verse 13. He says, I would have lost heart unless I had Believed unless I had believed, I would have crashed and burned in those spots where the enemy was around me and they, they had risen up against me. And my, The situation I was in was terrible. He says, unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living, while I'm alive, that I would see his goodness. If I had gotten my eyes off that, I would have train wrecked. And so he says, but I was con- you know, convinced that in spite of the hardships of life that he would see the goodness of God. And I want to ask you that same thought. Is that, is that kind of resonating in your heart that you're like, ah, through the times of tough things, I'm just convinced that God's good. And I'm convinced that as I continue to seek him, I will see his goodness. I might not see it or think it's happening now, but I'll see it. Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is famous for something. I don't know if you've ever heard Psalm 23 before. But tell me as soon as you know where it's, fa- where it's famously read. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Funerals, exactly. That's where you hear those, those wor- words. And in the, in the moments of our deepest grief, we read through this psalm, and it says, you know, the Lord's my shepherd. And David talks about the relationship that he has with the, with the Lord. And in spite of the grief that we're going through, we read through this. You know how that, that, verse, um, that psalm ends? It ends with verse 6 that says this. Surely your goodness and your mercy or your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. He's like, I'm not pursuing that. We already know what he said he's pursuing. I just want to pursue you. I want to pursue your presence. I'm convinced I'll see the goodness. So convinced that he's like, you know what? Goodness and mercy, they're going to hunt me down. It would be like that idea of I'm just living my life, God, keeping my eyes on you. I know goodness and mercy, they're eventually going to catch me because that's how this thing works. They're tracking me down in spite of what I'm going through, in spite of my grief, in spite of my loss. Goodness and mercy will follow me. Why? Because it's proper perspective. It's looking through the lens of truth. Our circumstances do not determine whether God is good or not, is what David would tell you. The New Testament writers describe his goodness as well. It wasn't just some old psalms and songs in the Old Testament. Like, yeah, that's some Old Testament. That was just David's op- opinion. Let's take a look at the New Testament. Paul, As Paul writes about different things to the churches, it's interesting some of the things he writes. He writes this chapter called 1 Corinthians, we call it 13. And it starts with, you know, love is patient, love is kind. Where have you heard that before? weddings. And so as just as Psalm 23 wasn't written for funerals, 1 Corinthians 13 was not written for weddings. It was written to describe this idea of love, and a different kind of love than they were used to. He, um, they used these different Greek words for love, and then the New Testament writers introduced a Greek word that nobody had ever heard before. You know all those new words we invent? Uh, I don't know, whatever the most recent ones they have to add to the dictionary, because oh, that's a new word, lol. What's, uh, whatever that's all about. The... Um, these, these things, he invents this new word called agape. It's this kind of love that's not like love between spouses. It's not the same kind of love between brothers. It's not the same kind of love you have for stuff. It's not erotic love. It's this different word called love. And he says the love, he, he describes it as love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not rude. And, and as you read through this and you see this word agape, you see, okay, that's what love looks like. Later on, John, who was a follower of Jesus, he takes that same word. They heard it from Jesus. And he writes down, he says, you know what? They're going to know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ by your love for one another. For all those who love God um are, are, are loved by God, he says, th- they know this because God is love. And he used that word agape. God is agape. So when as you read through and you read through 1 Corinthians 13, you can take the same word where God is love, love is God. He doesn't have love. He is love. He writes this same thought that God is patient. God is kind. God's not jealous. God's not rude. God's not selfish. God thinks no evil. He can't even think evil towards your life. He can't even, there's, there's, it's just not in him. He can't not love you because he doesn't have love. He just is love. It's who he is. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, we looked at it last week uh, very briefly, but as you look at this, he says the Holy Spirit, who is God living in us, and as a follower of Jesus, you have a spirit living in you. He says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your life. He produces the kind of fruit like this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and there's no law against things like this. He produces the very character of God in, in our lives. As we're being led by him, and uh, there's a great study that we're doing on the Holy Spirit right now. We're we'll be looking at a series down the road on that same thing. But Holy Spirit's job is to produce God's character. What does God's character look like? You see nothing. You see love and the choices of it, but goodness is one of those things. That even as the writers of the New Testament, they were convinced that God is good no matter what. But it doesn't matter what David thought, it doesn't matter what Paul thought, because what you believe will affect the way that you live. If you're not convinced that God is good, it will affect the way that you live. So point one, God is good, period. Number two, God's a good, good father to his children. If you look through the lens of truth, God is a good father. So Jesus, as he was talking with his disciples, he was trying to explain to them what God was like. He's like, how do I explain God to people? This is like, he's just beyond anything they can comprehend, but maybe I can t- explain it partly in this way. And so in Matthew chapter 7, he says, to, he says to, the, uh, to the people that are there, he says, you parents, and we got some parents in this place. You, last night I was like, oh man, I should never have asked this. But the same thought is this, Jesus asked this question. You parents, if your children asked for a loaf of bread, would you give them a stone instead? Unfortunately for the Saturday night children, their parents said, yeah, yeah, I would do that every once in a while. But Jesus doesn't even let them answer, right? He's like, would you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? And he's like, of course not. He's like, no parent who calls himself good would ever do that. And he says, but even if you think you're good, he says, so if you sinful people, because we would admit that there's some sinful stuff in us as well, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him. The word gift's not really there. It's basically how much more won't God do good or give good in your life? And Jesus begins to contrast what a good father and a bad father look like. Why would God give evil to you? We learned from Paul that he can't think evil. So if he can't think it, he can't do it. And even if, he says, even you wouldn't do that to your own kids. He says, so how is it that you can think that God would ever do evil to you? In Hebrews chapter um, th- um, 11, the, the writer of Hebrews said, if you're going to seek God, you've got to believe two things. You've got to believe that he exists, that you're not just seeking open air. You're seeking a God who's listening, but you also got to believe that he rewards those who diligently seek him. That, th- that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. In Luke chapter 11, where Jesus was explaining this, Matthew wrote down the parts that kind of mattered to him. Luke wrote down a few other things because he said, you, you good parents, you give good gifts to your children. How much more won't God give his Holy Spirit? To those who ask. He'll give. He's giving good to the point of. He will give himself. His goodness to dwell within you. And it's Holy Spirit that produces goodness. In your life. The fruit of goodness. See because Jesus is saying listen. If you miss everything. Realize that God is a good good father. And we sang it this morning. It's who he is. There's no doubt. And for some you can't sing those words. You look at it like. He's a good, good father, but yeah, but but what about this? We think about that for a minute. We would think, if we think of a good father, would we ever think of 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 a father who abuses their children as being good? Never, never, right? There's never a spot where we think a person who abuses their kids is a good father. No, we'd say if we figure that out, we would lock them up. If, there was, if we found a dad who's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to teach my kids that fire is hot. So I'm just going to put my, their hand in the fire so that it burns their hand. So that way they'll know. They'll never do that again. What would you do? We'd lock them up. That's a, that's a, if there was a father who said, you know what? I want my kids to learn the dangers of water. So I'm just going to hold them under till the second before they drown and bring them up. Got to teach them. We'd be like, no. That, that's not a good father. For some, they think, oh, God's just loading me up with all this weights and all this, this stuff in my life. He knows you know, what I can handle. I, is what, is what the, Their thought is that he, he's not going to give me more than I can handle, but he's going to give me right to the minimum. He's going to hold me under the water until I'm just about gone, and, the, and then somehow pull me out. Would we say a good father would do something like that? No, we would even think that a good father here would do that. And somehow, those thoughts can creep into our mind that that's what God might be like. James chapter 1. James writes this, love it, James 1 verse 12, he says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. At the beginning of James, he said, count it all joy when when various trials and temptations come your way. Trials and temptations, count that as joy. We've talked about the whole idea of counting it as joy before. I just want to share this thought this morning. He says, count it all joy when trials and temptations come to you. So it's not this idea, and I want you to see where they come from this morning. As you're going through, he says, God blesses, and that other word is happy. Happy are the people who patiently endure the testing and temptation. Because afterwards, it's not the ones who give in, they're not the ones who are broken by it, but the ones who endure it and conquer. He says afterwards, they're going to receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Then he writes, and remember, when you're being tempted, when you're, and that word's not just tempted, it's tested. When you're going through trials, he says, remember, when everything's not going well in your life and you feel like you're tempted or tested, do not say that it's God who's testing me, God who's tempting me. Because God's never tempted to do wrong. How often? Never tempted to do wrong. And he what? Never tempts anyone else. He never tests anyone else with, uh, with evil or with trials." He says this, um, uh, in the next verse, verse 14, temptation, where does it come from? Temptation, those things come from within, from our own desires, which entice us and they drag us away. It says these desires give birth to sinful actions, and those actions, when they're allowed to grow, they give birth to death, and we experience a death in our lives in different, different ways. He says this, so don't be misled. Why would he say that? Because it's really easy to get Misled. It's so easy to get misled. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, don't be misled about this. Love this. He says, whatever is good, whatever's good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens and he never changes and he, or casts a shifting shadow. He says he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Can we put verse 17 back up there again just so you can see it? It says this, whatever is good and perfect, if it's good and perfect coming into your life, you can know where it's coming from. If it's not good and perfect, it's not coming from God. It's never coming from God. He says, this is is never who I was, and I'm not changing anytime soon. It says he doesn't change. You don't have to think that, okay, well, maybe it wasn't God, but this instance. When all of a sudden you face a circumstance, and that thought comes in, God must be tempting. God must be testing. God must be trying me. God somehow is teaching me something through this, and maybe others will tell you, and it sounds spiritual. He says, it's not me. It is not me. God's not testing you with sickness. He's not testing you with trials. He cannot tempt or test people with evil. Now, let me be very clear about this. Sickness, trials, temptations, and struggles will test you. It's like every time you put in a boat in the water, the water tests the boat to see if it can find a way in. As you're living life, life will test you. He's not saying, oh, you're never going to have any of these things because you're a Christian. So now I'm just going to put a bubble around you and it's all going to be good. He says, it's coming, but count it as joy because you can endure. You're going to go through, but keep your eyes on me. It's by looking to him that you can endure, but recognize he's not the author of the sickness, the trial, the death. He cannot, if it's evil, he can't do it. If it's not good and it's not perfect, it's not from him. Why is it so important? Because sometimes we think somehow those thoughts come in that God must be behind this somehow. And so I'm just going to wait till he does whatever he does or the other side, God, how could you? And we get angry. But it's not God. And we think about this thought, for instance. I've shared it before like this, but, but what if we had an ambulance driver in Haldeman County who's driving around and, and the back of his vehicle is empty. He's like, oh, this isn't fun. I'm just going to run someone over because I know I can help them. And so he runs off the road and he hits people and then puts them. He's like, oh, I'm sorry I hit you, but I can help you. I'm an ambulance driver. What would we do with that guy? Lock him up. But why would we think that God would do the same thing? Oh, look, there's some healthy people there at Kingsway Church. Let's smoke them with sickness, because then I can heal them, and I can get the glory. Doesn't make any sense, does it? And yet those thoughts can sneak in. Why? I love how Rhonda shared it earlier. It's about the dot. It's about when we're in that circumstance, and we're in that situation, we're not sure. So we look at that situation, and we try to see God somehow through it. And he's saying, keep your eyes on me, look at this, and then you'll see this clearly for what it is. Because I'm good, that never changes. I'm a good father, and I'm your good father, and I have good things for my kids. Because I'm a good father, is what God is saying. He says, So in the same way, um, Peter, he described Jesus to the Gentiles when they were first coming to hear about Jesus. He described him like this in Acts 10.38. He says, you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And Jesus went around, what? Doing good, healing all who are oppressed of the devil. See, Hebrews chapter 3 says that Jesus on the planet is the very image of God and expresses his character. You want to know what God looks like on the planet, how he would deal with people, how any of that would happen? He said Jesus is the express image of of God. It's what God looks like. And so if you need more proof, just look at the life of Jesus. As you read through the Gospels, guess what? Jesus never made anyone sick. (laughs) Why would he do it now? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus never tested anyone with evil. Well, what about that time with Peter walking on the water? Guess what? Gravity tested Peter. And Jesus grabbed him and reached him out. He said, what about that time where, you know, the devil asked if he could sift Peter like wheat? Guess who was in that sentence? The devil. See, this this thought of knowing where evil and where the testing and the temptations come from. He's saying, don't turn your eyes off of me and onto your situation or circumstance because you'll go the wrong way. And quite possibly, you'll resist the only one who can help you through, to help you endure, to help you overcome. So as you see situations and trials in your life, it's that idea of saying, I'm going to look at this with truth. God is good, there's no doubt. He's my good father because I'm his child, there's no doubt. So whatever I'm in, it's either an attack of the enemy, it's either I, it's, I'm reaping some, something that I um, sowed in foolishness and wasn't wise about a decision, so that's happening. Or it's simply that this planet is being run by sin and I, these are the effects of it that are affecting my life and that's simply what it is. But God, I'm going to keep looking to you because I'm convinced, just like David and like those before that you are good and that as I keep my eyes on you, I will see your goodness. I'm convinced of that. But what matters is what you believe because what you believe will affect how you live. Last thought. God is good all the time. God's a good good father. There is no doubt. He has good things for his kids. But God's got good news for the world, too. It's not just good news for Christians. It's good news for the world. And good news is always better. Good news is good, but it's always better when you've had bad news. I don't know if you know about that. You know, if you, if you hear the words, your baby's healthy. You're like, well, that's pretty good news. Wouldn't we agree? As a parent with a child, you'd like to hear that your baby's healthy. Guess when that news is better? when you've just been through a hospital for months trying to figure out what was wrong with your child, and as they go through all of these tests in different hospitals and different doctors, like, we're not sure, but we're going to try this. We hope it's not A, B, or C, but it could be, or all of the above. And and as you go through the journey, we went through with our son at at six weeks later, all of a sudden they're like, you know what? We don't know if we figured it out, but what we can tell you is your son is healthy. We're like, oh, that's incredible news. You know, some good news is this. You know, if you heard the news, hey, you don't have cancer, that's good news for all of us. Do you know who that's better news for? The person who's just gone through all the treatments and all the chemo and all the radiation, and they come to that place where they're like, I hope it worked. They've just gone through months of sickness, and they stand before the doctor, and he says, you don't have cancer. <gasps> Man, we had people that just got that news this, uh, two, uh, a week and a half ago, and they went out and celebrated, just telling their waiters and telling everybody. Why? Because it's extremely good news. I don't have cancer, but I don't do that. I'm not like going around saying, man, it's awesome at the restaurant. Hey, at Wendy's, guess what? I don't have cancer. Same news, no? Why is good news so good? It's because we realize in spite of of the evil. See, because there's bad news for every single one of us. Especially those who are not a follower of Jesus. The bad news is that our sin and evil deserves judgment. We hope you know, we, we, we think, well, God, how could you be good? if How could a good God send people to hell? Have you heard that before? Because he's a good judge, too. He's not just a good father. He's a good judge. And we think about, ah, I really hope that he let him off. There's a trial going on right now that affects uh, a number of people in this area. And as we think about that trial, the trial of these two men accused of murder, what's our hope? You know, our hope is that the judge is going to be a good judge. And a good judge, is he going to let him go? Now you're like, uh, is this a trick question? <laughs> would a good judge let them off and be like, ah, that's just what they felt like doing, so I'm just going to let them go? Heck no. We would be like, we hope that they get punished to the nth degree. Why? Because we realize that, that evil requires and deserves judgment, and a good judge will judge what's evil. We know it. The problem is that a good judge that we all face is also going to be a good judge and judge the evil in our lives. If we look back at like, uh, you know, even if from today till the rest of eternity, you live perfectly, you still got something in your past that you're going to have to stand before God for. And as I, as I think about it, I think, oh, that's kind of, it's kind of an uncomfortable thought sometimes. We think about those kind of things because, because that evil is going to be judged. And, and I don't even have to say, you know, that, that, that hey, you're evil, that we all have sin because we know it. We'd be the first ones to stand up and say, yeah, there's things in my life where I wasn't always good. There's, I know I didn't live up to God's standards, but I didn't even live up to my own. You know, I've had times where I'm like, I'm never going to do that again. And I'm like, oh, I did it again. We would know. And truth is that there's going <laughs> to be a fine required for that. Paying the fine and having to stand before a judge and hear the words guilty, It really sucks. I had to do that a couple weeks ago because I ran a red light in Hamilton and they caught me on camera. And so they sent me the pictures and they sent the thing and they opened it up and I was like, the first thing I saw was a car running through a red light Hamilton. I'm like, Beth, what were you doing? And then I'm like, wait a second, that's me. And I'm like, what was I doing down there? And then I realized I was in a funeral procession and I was the last car to go through and and I didn't know where I was going so I was just trying to make sure I stayed in the line and, and I'm like, $325. And then it gave you options. You could talk to somebody and fight it. I'm like... I'm going to fight it. I'm not, I'm not going to pay that. So I had to go to court. I've never had to do this before. I went to court, and, and, then, and they said, you can talk to a prosecutor. I'm like, I'm going to do that. I'll plead my case. And others are like, yes, you have a good chance. That's a good, that's a good case. You were in a funeral. They'll, they'll have some heart and grace. And so I went there, and there was 40 of us. All had run red lights. And uh, they, they put us all in a room. And then uh, one prosecutor comes out, and they say, okay, we're just going to give you the same spiel to all of you we're not going right, to we're not going to give this off, um, we're not going to give you grace we're not going to whatever they said the only thing we can offer you is that we can lower your fine a little bit and, we're, and so, but they said, if you think you have a case, you can go into another room and talk to a prosecutor and maybe, you know, and, and explain to them why you think that you deserve not to pay anything. I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. So I went to the other room and I was second in line and somebody else went in front of me and as they're sitting in there, they plead their case and they come out and they're shaking their heads and they're like, they didn't get off. I'm like, you probably had a lame case, right? I'm going in. And I go in and I'm like, sit down. I'm like about to tell her that. I was at a funeral, you know, and I'm a pastor with somebody from our church. Is their parent, and, and I had it planned. And then as I look across, they write down the excuse on the on the paper. And the excuse on the person's paper before me was my father died. All of a sudden, I'm like, I don't have a case. <laughs> I'm not going to get let off. I tried. They said no. Uh, and they sent me back into the courtroom. And as I had to go in the courtroom by myself, I had to stand in front of the judge. And he looks down at me from the thing, and he says, please say your name, like Mark Vandewer he's like, do you plead guilty to the fine of, and just rattles off this thing of what I did, which was, sounds so much more evil from a judge than it did from a thing. It's, it's just this terrible sounding thing. And I was like, can okay, I plead guilty. And he's like, louder so we can hear it. I'm like, I plead guilty. Loud enough so that our, 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 our whatever recording devices can hear. I'm like, I'm guilty. And I was like this feeling, all of a sudden the awareness for me was like, what would that it felt horrible for that. What would it feel like for, the, for like the sins of my life? To stand before God, a righteous judge, to have to say, I'm guilty. And that the fine is not $325, but it's life. It's eternity without him. I'm like, that's a pretty steep fine. Those guys gave me $85 off, but what I really wished was somebody would have stood in there and said, you know what, he's a pastor, I'm going to pay his fine for him. I don't know where that person was that day, but that didn't happen. But you know what it did happen? When God sent his son to this planet to say, I know that there's going to be billions of people who are going to have to stand before me, not, not because they desire to, not because they, had, they were born into this place of sin. They are born into this place of brokenness, and they're going to have to give an account. And he says, you know what? I want to pay their fine. So I'm going to send my son to give his life to pay to pay that fine for them i'll step in front of judge mark's move aside i got this all of the sins of my past lying to my parents stealing from mom's purse stealing from that that candy store down the road all the way to the things where speeding texting while driving to the things that i you know the real struggles lying living with a, an addiction to pornography Different things where I've you know um, not been right to my children, things that I've all gone, th- things in my life that' I've been like, those are black marks, X's all the way along, that he just says, "Mark, I got this. You step aside, father, I 'll take the punishment that's exactly what he did for you and for me, and he loves you, he 's not angry at you, he misses you. He gave his life, and every single one of us has the opportunity to receive that good news for ourselves. This isn't, never was meant to be. Jesus never came to the planet to say, hey, let's see how many people we can get in buildings on Sunday mornings. He's <laughs> like, how can I pay that fine? How can I show them my goodness? And it says, you know what? It's the goodness of God that draws us to repentance. It's not the fear of hell, but it's the goodness of that that says, come on, come change the way you think about this. Because what you believe will affect how you live. And it's his goodness. Why is it so important? Because if we don't believe that he has good news for the world, we don't have good news for the world. We'll share God in a wrong way with others. We'll tell them, you got to go to church. you got to change your behavior. You guys got to be better. He didn't say that. He's like, you can't be better. I'll do it for you. What an incredible message for the world. So in conclusion, what do we do? When we find ourselves looking at difficult things, and the temptations come in our mind that I'm not sure if God is good. I'm not sure. What do I do? Well, number one, if you're not a follower of Christ, it starts with receiving the first good news at the beginning, allowing the Holy Spirit to come and live in your life. That's step number one, realizing, God, if you've forgiven me, I'll accept that, and I'll follow you instead of doing what I'm doing because it ain't working. That's incredibly good news. And the second thought is this, that once he moves in here, he wants to change what's going on here. He wants to begin to change the way that you think. This morning's part of that changing oh you know what god you're good all the time i don't always feel that way but that's what i'm going to believe because it's going to affect how i live god i'm not sure if you have good things for me sometimes i'm thinking you know you're doing evil wait a second you can't okay i'm going to think that and and change the way i have god your news is good for my neighbors it's good for those around me okay he wants to change the way you think and give you the goggles of truth philippians 4 8 says this last verse this morning And now dear brothers and sisters you followers of Jesus, here's one last thing I want to tell you. Fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts on what is what? True. Get those lenses on of what's true and fix your eyes there because they're always going to be trying to be dragged back to this spot. He's like, no, I'm going to fix my thoughts. I don't care what I see. What I'm, I'm going to think this. What's true? What's honorable? What's right? What's pure? Lovely? Admirable? Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. What are you focusing on in your life? What you focus on and what you see becomes what you believe, and what you believe affects how you live. There's a story of the vultures and the hummingbirds that both live in the, in the desert, and as the vultures fly over, they're looking down for carcasses that they can fly down and feed on these uh, you know, disgusting de- um, dead animals. And in that same desert, there's hummingbirds that fly over, and they're looking for these small flowers that are full of sweet nectar. They both fly over the same desert. Hummingbirds fly over the carcasses, and and vultures fly over the, 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 the small flowers. And you know what? Both of those birds find exactly what they're looking for. And the same is true for us. So which one are you? Will you fly over with your focus set on the circumstance, the situation, the negativity that's all around you, and just allow your eyes to be so focused there that that's the only way you can figure out God or see God is trying through that. Or would you say, you know what, I'm looking for the sweet nectar. I'm going to keep my eyes focused on his goodness. I believe that he is good, and as I seek him in his presence, I will see the goodness of God no matter what I'm walking through. Which one are you? Two people today could be in the very same experience and end up with two totally different things. Why? Depends on the goggles you're looking through. So my hope today is that you could taste and see, that you could experience his goodness in your life by having the proper perspective of who he is. And do you know what happens with that? Once you begin to see that God is good all the time, once you begin to know and believe that as I seek him, I'll see his goodness, it overflows in worship in your life. For some, you couldn't sing the songs this morning because you didn't believe them then. But as you just set your focus and fix your thoughts on this, no matter what circumstance you're in, you'll be singing some thoughts like this. I want to scream it out. <laughs> From every mountaintop, your goodness, it knows no bounds. Your goodness, it never stops. Your mercy's following me. Your kindness fills my life. Your love amazes me. So I'll sing, I'll dance, I'll shout. Why? Because you are good. There's no doubt that you are good. And whether it's sun or whether it's rain, it doesn't matter. You are good. And my heart will proclaim that you are good because what I believe is, will affect how I live. This morning, would you take that with you? May that thought resonate in you. As I'm laying on a beach, hopefully, it's supposed to rain down there all week. But whether it's sun or rain, I will proclaim that God is good. But with that, just, if you hear those thoughts, to just realize, I just determined to see truth. To know that he is good. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your goodness. It's the reason we're here today. It's because your goodness caused, <laughs> caused your incredible love for us to send your son for us. Jesus, we honor you this morning for that sacrifice. We're grateful that this morning for the good news that you've uh, uh, given us and uh, that we can share with our world. This morning, Lord, I just pray over every person as they leave this place, as the enemy tries to throw the darts of doubt and the darts of, of evil and the darts that uh, you're against them, uh, Holy Spirit, I pray you remind them of these very words this morning, that it would affect what they see and it would affect what they believe and that ultimately it would affect the way they live. Thank you for this incredible family, Thanks for the blessing that they are to us and to each other. Pray your blessing and favor over them this week as they go from here. In your name and for your glory and for their good, I pray. Amen.